turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. You should have the handout that we had last week, which uh, is on end time events. And if we could put the chart up that just shows all the, the end time events, that's perfect. Just hold that right there. I want to remind you that we're, we're, we've seen over the weeks all kind of different things about end times. We've seen different aspects. We even went to the tribulation and went into detail showing the tribulation and all of those things. We're toward the end of seeing the big flow. And last week we got where the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to pray in just a second, but we saw the second coming of Christ, and we talked about what happened there, and we started, started basically to get right into the millennial kingdom. But what we're going to do this morning is review just a touch on Christ's second coming, talk about the kingdom, at the end of the kingdom what happens there. We'll talk about the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about the eternal state, what everybody's always said. Oh, let's look at what heaven is like. And people have always said heaven is the pearly gates and the streets of gold. And we're going to talk about that, but that's not really heaven. That's the new Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that in just a second. So let's start in prayer. You can have your Bibles open to Revelation 20, and we'll, we'll get into that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for our Sunday school class. Thank you that we get to be together. Lord, we just thank you for all the children's classes and the, and the uh, youth and, and graded and, just, uh, and the nursery and everything that's going on even at this time. Thank you for all the people who are serving and being used by you. Thank you for this body and, Lord, that we come together every week to study the Word of God and to, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for us and that is to make disciples. And we have a plan to equip the believers to do the ministry and build up the body of Christ. And Lord, we have a process as we gather and scatter, gather for worship and training and scatter to uh, to evangelize and to serve. So Lord, thank you for this body. Lord, we pray especially for next Sunday as people come and we hear about the building and the excitement and the things that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us beyond what we could imagine. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'll keep doing that. Lord, we ask you that as we look at the end times as we look at what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that you will teach us that we'll see how it fits together most of all Lord thank you that Jesus died and rose again that he died on the cross to take our sins upon himself that he was buried and he rose again conquering death and he gives eternal life to anyone who simply believes in him who trusts in him as Savior thank you Lord it's not our works or our goodness or our righteousness or anything that we do, but it is simply faith alone in Christ alone. Thank you for salvation being in the person of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, teach us right now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, think about it. We've been seeing, and if we keep that chart up, remember we said that there are two comings of Christ to the earth. The first coming is when he left the glories of heaven, became a human being, uh, was born in Bethlehem, lived uh, about 30 years, and then at about 30 years old, began a ministry that lasted three, three and a half years. He offered himself as the king of Israel. He offered himself as the savior of the world. He was rejected as a whole by Israel. He was crucified. That was God's plan, that he would die on the cross as the propitiation, as the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So he is the satisfactory payment, and he died and rose again and that's the picture of the death and resurrection he walked on the earth about another 40 days and then ascended into heaven 
But not too long after that, we've been seen in the book of Acts. Ten days after he ascended, the church age began, and this is where we are now. These are believers, people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, and we are living for Christ, and our goal is to be ambassadors for Christ. The next event, now this was the first coming, this is the second coming. The next event is coming in the clouds. It's not to the earth, it's in the clouds. We call it the rapture. It comes from a Latin word, uh, rapio, which means a snatching away. The church, the body of Christ, will be taken off the face of the earth. When we're taken off the face the earth there'll be a time on the earth called the tribulation time period the last seven years we spent the time showing that the church is not involved in that and these are the final 70 years of the 490 years that God gave to Israel they've used up 483 they still have seven left this is that seven years at the end of the tribulation the nation of Israel as a whole has believed in Jesus Christ as Savior has turned back to him has trusted in him then they are being surrounded by the enemies of the world and the Antichrist and Jesus Christ comes and we saw last week in Revelation 19 beginning in verse 11 Jesus Christ comes out of heaven in power and majesty to make war and he comes to the earth in Revelation 19 and he comes and basically does a number of things but he's coming to set up a kingdom he takes the beast who is the Antichrist and the false prophet who is someone who is also demon possessed and they have been in opposition to God they, the Antichrist Christ has claimed to be Christ. He takes those two people and casts them into the lake of fire. What well, best we can tell, there is no one in the lake of fire. Now, a lot of times people use the word hell, and the Bible doesn't use that word. It uses lake of fire. And at this stage is the first time anyone, best we can tell from Scripture, is cast into the lake of fire. At the beginning of the kingdom, Satan himself is bound in a big hole, an abyss, for a thousand years. And we go into what we call the kingdom. So if you would, we're at Revelation chapter 20, and the slide is the kingdom. And I would want to remind you, we saw the beginning of this last week, but think about this. We as believers, all of us, when this happens, we'll have already either died and our bodies were in the grave and we went to be present with the Lord or he will come in the clouds and we will, or those dead in Christ will be raised and we will be raised and changed and we'll be taken off the face of the earth. And we've been gone and we've, we've not been here for that seven years, that tribulation. We've been in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. And as he comes back to the earth to set up this kingdom and take the beast and false prophet and cast them in the lake of fire and take Satan and bind him, we're coming back with him. And he's setting up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. There's a reason for that. You could say, why does he have to do that? Why doesn't he just come back and, and turn everything into all eternity? Because he is the king, and that's what he's going to do. In fact, on that chart, we saw that he sets up and has a kingdom for a thousand years, and then there's an eternal state, which he goes on forever. Why does he have a thousand-year reign on this earth? Well, it goes back to a promise that was in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, where God made a promise to King David that his greater son, that's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would sit on the th throne of Jerusalem. And that's what he's going to do. And he's going to rule and reign in righteousness from Jerusalem as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you go to places like Zechariah and Matthew 24, 25, Zechariah 14, 2 Thessalonians, some other places, you'll see that he comes back to the Mount of Olives. And the whole thing changes. It splits. The mountain splits in two. Water changes. Uh, the Dead Sea actually becomes alive. Animals start. Water, Fresh water goes into the, to the Dead Sea. And, and suddenly there are animals there. And there's fishing there. 
there that's not, not been there as far as we know forever. And so there's going to be a lot of changes when Jesus Christ comes back. Notice Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of an abyss and a great chain in his hand. We talked about this. He laid hold of the dragon and make sure. He says, I don't want you to miss. This is John writing this, but he doesn't want us to miss who this is. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He is bound during the, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And threw him in the abyss and sealed it over him so that he could not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things he will be released. He must be released for a short time. So what we know is, during the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, Satan will be bound. Beast and false prophet are gone. So in the thousand-year reign of Christ, you can't say, not you, but others can't say, devil made me do it. He'll be bound, right? We're not sure. It seems to me that the angels still have freedom because he hasn't judged them yet. So the, the bad angels, which we call demons, and there's some dispute on whether a demon and a fallen angel are the same things. The, reason, the only reason I say that is Zane Hodges, who passed away about two years ago or three years ago, did a, an article, which I don't have. I wanted to read it, but I hadn't got it, and which he, and he is a very logical guy, so when he writes something, I always read it and say, he usually says things I ain't never thought of, and he, he seems to think that demons... And fallen angels are not the same thing. So I, w I want to find the article if I can get it, read it, and see what it says. But anyway, uh, and then who cares? Anyway, but uh, though the whole idea, we don't know about the angels, but we know Satan is bound for a thousand years. And notice what it says in verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, not received the mark on the forehead, and on their hand they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So what we're going to find is the believers, the, the, the church age, us, we're going to reign for a thousand years. The people who died during the tribulation are going to reign for a thousand years with him. The people, Old Testament saints, are going to reign with him for a thousand years. And those who actually lived during during the tribulation, believed in Jesus, but didn't get killed, they're going to reign in that kingdom as well. So as we go into this kingdom, there's all these things, and basically it says we're going to all reign for a thousand years, and when the thousand years is over, at the very end, Satan is going to be released, and there's going to be one final battle. And he calls the first resurrection, all of us who, who, who get to live forever with Jesus Christ, beginning with a thousand years and on. And then he calls the other thing the second death. That meaning all the people who have not believed in him, one day they will be raised. So look what he says. The rest of the dead didn't come to life till the thousand years are completed. This is the first resurrection. First resurrection is, is all the believers. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. That's us. Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So what we see, and if you can throw the chart back up there just for a second. It, yeah. So here we are, thousand year reign of Christ. Satan is in the big abyss. The beast and false prophets are in the lake of fire. And here's all believers. Now, the one thing that's unique is the church age, glorified bodies. Old Testament saints, glorified bodies. Tribulation saints who died, glorified bodies. Tribulation saints who didn't die, normal bodies. And they will be in the kingdom with us. I don't understand it exactly. Now, while that kingdom is going on, and we're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks, is we'll be serving and ruling and reigning.
based on our service here and now. And we're going to talk about rewards. We're going to talk about that. And the next, uh, next week we're going to go and look at rewards that God gives to believers. And so when people have this idea that when you get into the kingdom or when they, a lot of people just want to say, when you go to heaven, everybody's the same. The truth is everybody's not the same. They're all believers. We all have eternal life. But all have different places of responsibility based on service now. That's why it's important. That's why Paul says, run the race so you get the prize. That's why he says, well done, good and faithful servant there are people who aren't faithful there are christians who aren't faithful let's face it in fact to be real honest do you think most christians are faithful or not faithful most people aren't aren't faithful i don't mean it bad but most aren't so we're going to have this kingdom and they're going to be ruling and reigning people have different responsibilities i'll just throw this out we'll look at it more in the future but there's a term in hebrews the term is called metakoi it's a greek word it means partners he calls certain believers who have served him the metakoi the partners with christ it would probably be a great idea to be a metakoi right that means you've served him, you've lived for him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you get to be a partner with Christ. And, and so that means look at our lives and say, look, am, am, I, am I heading toward partnership or not? What do you think? You know? And so that's the goal, the dream, is that we live in such a way that we hear him say, well done. Now, what happens? Look at verse 7. Satan is released. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. Now, let me ask you something. Who is coming together against Jesus Christ at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ? The church is not because we're all believers and we have glorified bodies and we, we won't, can't sin. And the Old Testament saints aren't the, one, aren't the ones doing it because they've got glorified bodies and they can't sin. The tribulation saints who died and rose again, they've got glorified bodies, they can't sin. The believers who went into the kingdom with normal bodies, they trusted Christ, they're saved forever. Who in the world is this that's coming in rebellion against Jesus Christ at the end of the thousand years? It's only, only, only who it could possibly be of the offspring of these believers. Now, we, we would say something like this, and we talked about it last week. You're telling me that people are born to believing families, and they see Jesus Christ on the throne in Jerusalem, probably be Fox News covering it, you know, right? Some of the other networks will deny it, but anyway, he's there, okay? There are going to be children born who reject Jesus Christ. And it won't be just a few. Notice the end of verse 8. And the number of them is like what? The sand of the seashore. I, I can't understand that. I can't grasp that. But, you know, you put mankind in a perfect garden with no sin ever having before, and they fail. You put man under a law system and they disobeyed it. You put man under a grace system and they disobeyed it. You have Jesus Christ on the earth doing miracles and they crucified him. You, you know, so it's almost any situation you're in, people will reject. And so even today when we say, listen, we, we got it. We're, we're going out with the greatest message. We have the scripture. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We go with the greatest message. And there will be people who will believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And there will be people who will reject him. 
right now. There are going to be people who reject him during the kingdom. Notice what it says. Uh, and they came up on this broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. They're coming against Jerusalem and the beloved city. And what happens? Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. These unbelievers who are rebelling against God, against Jesus Christ, fire comes out of heaven and destroys them. Now, let me ask you something. In that thousand-year reign, where will it be? Where will it be? Here. You're going to live. Where do you think you'll live? You ever thought about this? Where are you going to live during the kingdom? I mean, you say, well, I want to live in Jerusalem with Jesus. And say, well, I don't, Jerusalem's not that big. I'm not going to get everybody that wanted to live with Jesus in Jerusalem. Maybe the medical way get to live in Jerusalem. I don't know. You may live in Oklahoma. You may live somewhere else. And, and you may have a position of responsibility to overseeing things in this part of the world. Who knows what you're going to do? But this is a battle, and they're surrounding Jerusalem, and fire comes down out of heaven and devours them. And look what happens. And the devil who deceived them, I think, look, yeah, who are these people? That was my question. Where did they come from? Where did these unbelievers come from? Well, we just talked about it. But look at verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who's now in the lake of fire at this event in history? The false prophet, the beast, and the devil. Now, why did God prepare a lake of fire? Matthew tells us in Matthew 24, 25. He prepared it for what? For the devil and his angels. That's exactly what it's for. Because of the rebellion of these beings, he, provi- he prepared a place. But because of human beings' rejection of Jesus Christ... Those who never believe, they are separated also in the lake of fire. Now, I don't understand all this. And we all think, well, if we were doing it, we might not uh, put people in the lake of fire forever. Uh, We're not God. And His ways are a lot different than our ways. He says, my ways are not your ways as high as the heavens or the earth. So are my ways above your ways. So we can't even begin to comprehend what we think might be the best way to do things. He knows what He's doing. Now... Watch what happens. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. This is called the great white throne. Judgment. Books are open. Books of life. Books of words. Can you go back to the chart for just one second? There. At the end of the kingdom, after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet, there is a judgment called the great white throne judgment I saw the great white throne judgment who sat on it whose heaven uh, presence heaven and earth fled away no place left. I saw the dead now watch the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things written in the book of life and the books according to their deeds now who are the dead are you the dead you have what kind what do you have eternal life who is part of the second death that's the what the dead, that's the unbelievers. The, the unbelievers are raised and who, where they are standing before the great white throne judgment. And notice what it says. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things written in the books according to their deeds. Let's go back to the, there. Books are open, book of life, and book of works. Or actually, books of works. 
when the unbelievers stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment, books are opened. And there is the book of life open. Is their name in the book of life? It's not because how do you get your name in the book of life? You believe in Jesus Christ and he gives you what? Eternal life. He who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So your name's written in the book of life. <clears throat> but the unbelievers, those who are dead, or who will have the, the second death forever, their names aren't found in the book of life. And so the books were open, and they were judged from the things written in the books according to their what? Their deeds. Why? Would God judge them according to deeds? Why not? Let me ask you this. Why not according to sin? See, he didn't say, we're going to judge them according to their sins and all their bad things. He said, these are, books were opened, uh, and another book was opened, it's a book of life, but there were, the books were opened and they were judged according to their deeds. The word deeds there means works. Why aren't they judged according to their sins? That all the sins of every human being, past, present, and future, already been placed on Christ. Jesus Christ has paid for all sin. So when they're judged for their works, it has nothing to do with sin. Now let me ask you something. When you stand before Jesus Christ, and we're going to see this the next week if we finish today, and we may not because we're going slow, but if we stand before, when we stand before Jesus Christ, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, which is the rewarding stand. Will we be judged for sin or for works? See, sin's been placed on Christ. Every human being will stand before Jesus Christ and will be judged for their works, not sin. Sin's already dealt with. The issue on whether a person has eternal life or not has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with what? With faith. You believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. You do not believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have eternal life. So believers will be judged for works. Unbelievers will be judged for works. Now, why works? Well, I think the next slide kind of tells us that salvation is by faith. Sins are already judged. But what they see in these works is what? Works don't measure up. Because if you think, I'm doing good things and that will get me to God. Remember the lie of the devil is, if you do good, God will love you. Well, the truth is you can't do good and God already loves you. The lie of the devil is, do good things and, and, and you'll get to God. That's what religion is. Almost every religion in the world, well, every religion in the world except, Jesus, except Christianity, which I don't count as a religion, every religion is man trying to do something to get to God. And works can never get you to God. So, the books are open according to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead, and, and, and death and Hades gave up their dead, which were in them, and every one of them was judged according to their deeds. What do we find out about these deeds? They can't what? They can't get you in the book of life. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written where? In the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is the saddest thing ever. And sometimes we read this as if it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because every human being 
who have, has not believed in Jesus Christ as Savior will one day stand before Jesus Christ and the book of life will be open and their name's not in there and these other books will be open which are their works and deeds and those deeds won't measure up at all to get them in the book of life and they will be cast into the lake of fire. Which is really sad. And the truth is, even the worst enemy that you have, you don't want them to be in the lake of fire. Right? You may sometimes wish they were in the lake of fire, but truthfully, you don't. And so, this is at the end of the thousand years and the great white throne judgment. Let me stop. Any questions or anything before we go? Yes? I'm sorry? Okay, that's a great question because there's a place in Scripture that says, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. And so there's two thoughts on it. There's two thoughts that as a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, their name is written in the book of life. And there's another thought that everybody's name is written in the book of life, and if they reject Jesus Christ, their name is taken out of the book of life. The best that I can tell is that the Bible is not clear on that, but what I'm, when as you read through the whole thing, it seems to indicate that when you believe your name is, is give, you are given life then because you're dead, but when you believe you are given life, and I think your name, th- this is how I look at it, your name, when you believe your name is written in the book of life. When he says, I will not blot you from the book of life, I think that's one of those ways of saying, don't worry about it, you can never lose what you have. So I don't, I don't think that everybody's name is in the book of life and then they're just marking them out as they reject. I think nobody's in the book of life because we're dead in trespasses and sins and until we believe, then we get placed in the book of life. So that's the best way I look at it. But I think it, it could be the other way. But I take it more that you, when you believe, you get life and you're placed in the book of life. That's a great question. What else? Anything else? Before we move into eternity. <laughs> You ready? Let's see what happens next. Let's go to the eternal state, okay? And we call it that because people always say heaven. Sometimes we'll talk to people and say, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Well, in reality, if you died right now, your body would go in the grave, you would be absent from the body, you'd be where? Present with the Lord, so you would be in the heavenly places, wherever that is. In fact, there are three heavens. Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw things not lawful, most pe- not lawful to be seen. He says, most people believe that the first heaven is atmosphere, the second heaven is where the angels live, and the third heaven is where God lives. That's what some people say. The Bible doesn't even talk about it, it but it does say, Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. So we're not sure what that means. Um, somewhere, God Almighty has a throne, and Jesus Christ the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the throne. I don't understand all that exactly. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if we, until he comes to the earth and sets up the kingdom, all those who die before then are somehow with him. The scripture never even talks about what kind of bodies or what kind of presence we have in this time period because the bodies of believers are still in the ground both the church and the Old Testament saints. So 
Nobody really knows exactly what it's like. But that's the only time that people will be in the heavenly places. Because when he comes back and sets up a kingdom, that's on this earth. And when he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and we will live there forever. So we won't ever live in what we call the heavenly places. When people, I've had people say, I don't know what we're going to do sitting on a cloud for the rest. No, you won't be sitting on any cloud. You'll be on an earth. You'll be in a city. You'll have things to do. We'll talk about it. Let's look at the new heavens and the new earth. We'll get as far as we can get and then we'll stop and, and, and then next week we'll finish this part if we, if we don't get through. Uh, I saw, look what he saw. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. What happened to the first heaven and the first earth? It just kind of disappeared. It disappears. It's burned up. Peter tells us he's going to burn it up. He's going to burn it to pieces. He says, I'll never destroy this world by flood again, but it's going to be destroyed by fire. It's going to burn up. Now, my question is this. We've been on this earth, right? And then he's going to burn heavens and earth and make a new one. What is he going to do with us while he burns up this earth, right? (laughs) Is he going to say, okay, I'm just going to have you all kind of out here. Ooh, wow. Or it may happen so fast, right? Who knows? But suddenly, the, the, I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw, what does he see? Which is amazing. I saw the holy city. What's it called? New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven for God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the holy city coming down. He sees this earth, this new earth, and then out of the, out of the heavens... This city is coming down. Now, don't picture a little city. Picture a gigantic city. Because we're going to... It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. That's what he describes it. So it's a big old block coming down, right? It's huge. All right? I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. This is, this is bringing together what was supposed to be at the very beginning. Because God took a man and a woman and placed them where? In a garden. And what did he do? He came to be with them every day. Remember it says, And they heard the Lord would, would come talk to them. And, and when they sinned, they heard him coming. You know, which was normal. And so now he says, look, I started it off. Everything got messed up. It's taken a long time to fix it. And now I fixed it. And I've got a new earth. And I've got a new city. And look at verse 4 because I think it's important. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. These first things have passed away. I've had people say things like, well, will we remember what about people that we've known and loved that didn't, didn't believe in Jesus? That we, we know they say to us, I'm believing Jesus and I'm going to and, and they've died. Or we know people who, who, who it's obvious by what they say, they, they've never trusted in Christ and we know they're in the lake of fire. How would we feel about that for all eternity? We'd be pretty what? Pretty sad. But he says, I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no longer any death. There'll no longer any more. I don't think we'll remember that anymore. 
I think when we get to the eternal state, we're going to be happy. And we're not going to remember that. We're, not, we're just not. And uh, Because if you were thinking all the time about people who had rejected Christ and that they're in the lake of fire, it'd be hard to want to do anything, right? Now watch verse 5. And he who sits on the throne says, said, Behold, I am making all things new. There's so many things that are broke, aren't in it? I mean, think about it. Think about our world right now. Because we say well, it's a fallen world and there's sin and judgment and things are broken, tornadoes and earthquakes, everything in the world you can name. It's just got all this. Uh, there's just so much suffering and sorrow in a fallen world. And even when you go into the kingdom, you got the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he will rule righteousness and justice, Psalm 2. But it's still a fallen world. Because in that fallen world, there are people who reject him. But when we get to this world, a new heavens and a new earth, and this holy city coming down, he says, I'm making everything, what? New. It's going to be new. And he says, write, for these words are faithful and true. He's telling John, write it down. Write it down. I want people to know I'm going to make everything new. I love verse 6. Because look what it says. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. What's Alpha and Omega mean? Because he goes on and says, he makes sure you understand it. The beginning and the end. I am the one who thirsts. I, I, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life. How? Without cost. What does it cost you to have eternal life? What does it cost you to get life? It, it costs you absolutely nothing. It's a gift. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should ever what? Boast. It's not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to His mercy does He save. I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Whoever believes in me has life. That's all it is. He says, I give you the water of life without cost. And then he says, and he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now there's an idea there, as you know, in the scripture there's two kinds of inheritance. There's an inheritance that's just given to you as a gift, and then there's the inheritance which is earned. That's probably a play on the fact that there will be things that you get for all eternity, which is because he just gives them to you. But then there's going to be things you do for all eternity based on what? Your service for him. See, we're going to see in just a minute, well, we'll see it next week, that, that you will serve him forever. Powerful truth. Look at verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Ooh, here it comes. Now, I'm going to skip a few verses so you can just see how big it is and what it looks like, and we'll come back and finish this off next time. Look at verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gate, and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city with a rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, you think that's a pretty good-sized city? 1,500 miles? That's a pretty big city. Um, we've always heard 
that when you get to heaven, there's what kind of gates? And, and the streets are, look at verse 21. And the twelve gates, there's twelve gates around the city. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. I want you to understand, these gates are gigantic gates. And so that's a big old what? Pearl. Would you like to see the oyster on that one, right? And then look what it says. And the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. You could see through the gold. So when people say, when you get to heaven, it'll be pearly gates and streets of gold. When you get to the eternal state on a new earth in the new Jerusalem, there will be pearly gates and streets of gold. It's amazing. Okay, we've got to stop. What we'll do is I'll go back and get a little bit more details on this. I'll talk a little bit about what happens. We'll talk about the tree of life. And then we'll talk about what we do forever. And then when we finish next week, this part, we'll go on into lesson eight, which then deals with what about us. Let me go back to one thing. If you throw the chart one more time. Rapture, tribulation, second coming, kingdom. When we get taken off the face of the earth and we are up here, in the heavenly places, what are we doing while this is going on? Well, that's when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to talk about that next week as well.